Masechet Ketubot, Af Mem Zayin. We're going through the list of items that a father has authority over his daughter about and uh, comparing that to additional things that a husband has authority and rights over his wife. So one of the items on the list was Bema'ase Yadeha. The Mishnah said that the father has a right to the earnings of his daughter. Minelan, what is the source? Damarav Yehuda, Damarav Huna, Amarav, Minayin Shemaseh Habat, La'av, he asked this very question, how do you know that the daughter's wages go to the father? Since the father has a right to sell off his daughter as a maidservant. So uh, just like a maidservant, anything that she works, all her earnings um, own or go to the master. So too, a daughter, all of her earnings go to the father. It makes sense if a father has a right to sell off his daughter completely, then certainly he would have a right to her earnings. Good. Emma, uh, it, we're going to note later that this, the word le'amak is, is also an extra word. Kim Period. If he's selling her, she's going to be an ama. So le'ama is that he is, she is like in ama. She, there is a similarity even when she's under her father's authority. Similarity is that Earnings go to the master, go to the father. Now this pasuk is talking about a ketana under 12. The father has a right to sell her. But a father cannot sell his daughter once she passes 12 as a na'ara. And so therefore, you might think that as a na'ara, when she works, she can keep her own earnings. So how do we know that Nada also the father gets the gets the earnings? So we try to answer. It simply makes sense because if you think that um, she keeps her own earnings and they don't go to the father, well then the fact that the father has a different right to marry her off, uh, the Rachamana, the Torah, Hashem, gives the father the right to marry her off and give her into a, a wedding ceremony uh, as a na'ara. How could that be? During that time, she will not be able to go to work. And the father says, hey, I'm marrying you off, and it's going to be, uh, you know, tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon. Well, now she's going to miss work on Tuesday afternoon. So what right the father can't have, um, if the daughter, na'ara, keeps her own wages, then the father can has no right to ask his daughter, force his daughter, not to go to work because now she's losing out. Whereas if the father gets the wages, then it makes sense. The father can say, hey, you're not going to be working today. The father is losing the wages, but the father said he wants that to happen. So he has the authority to make her go and get married on that day. It takes time to get, get married. You got to prepare. You got to, you know, the wedding itself, the Sheva Berachot. So there must be that the father does have the right over his daughter's time and therefore over her earnings. Good. Um, now, Rav Achai says that's not a good reason to argue that, to prove that the earnings go to the father because it could be that the earnings go to her and the father, if he wants to marry her off during the day on a work day, then he would have to pay for the lost wages, right? She says, I'm going to lose wages if I get married. I don't want that. 
So he'll say, oh, I, I'll cover the wages. Maybe that, that's why he gets the right to marry her off. Or he schedules a wedding for nighttime. Nowadays, we often have schedule, we have weddings at night. That's because we have artificial light. But back then, it would make much more sense to have a wedding during the day when you have daylight. But if he does it at night when she's not working anyway, so then he's not, she's not losing out on work. Or if he's scheduled for a Shabbat or Yom Tov. We don't actually make weddings on Shabbat but it could be right before. Uh, they would actually do this often as uh, Ed of Shabbat. They would make a wedding ceremony on Friday afternoon, and then the celebration and the party and the meal would go in and would combine with Seudat Shabbat, and that's uh, that's permitted. And so nobody's working on Shabbat afternoon anyway, so he can find a time where she's not working, and so therefore the her his right to marry her off does not co- does not collide with uh, her w- her right to keep her wages. So really there's no proof from here. Rather, we're going to have another proof that not only Ketana, but also Na'ada, the father, gets the wages. Rather, Ketana, we don't even need a Pasuk. Because it's obvious if the father can sell off his, his daughter's ketana, obviously he can get the wages. Right? The pasuk is for a na'ara. Now, the pasuk we're talking about is the one that says a father can sell off his ketana as a, uh, as a maidservant. Um, but we're not just learning from the simple reading of the pasukim, but she explains from that extra word, le'ama. So besides the simple reading that says a father has a right to sell off his ketana daughter, yeah, from that, it's obvious he has right to the earning. But for the derasha of the of this pasuk, like why do you need to say it? Why do you have to add the word ama? That will come to include na'ara as well. Next item on the list is a father can annul his young daughter's vows. That's explicit in the Pesukim about annulling vows. A father can do it when she is a na'ara and in her father's house to exclude when she's either a bogeret or she is married off. Even Me'oreset, we saw the father will no longer have exclusive rights to annul her vows. If he marries her off as a kitana and now she gets divorced, the husband should give the divorce document to the father. He can receive it on behalf of his daughter. In the case of a woman who leaves one man and then goes and marries a second one, then she can't go back to the first one. Since it says the word, back to back, so we make a cash. That leaving the marriage is like entering the marriage, just like a father has a right to marry off his daughter and he gets the money. So too, when the daughter is young as a minor and still gets divorced, the father is the one that receives the divorce paper. If a daughter uh, receives uh, land that she owns herself, uh, then the father does not have a right over the produce of that land. Well, during her lifetime, if she would die, the father may be, in, may be the inheritor. 
So that's a different story. But while she's alive, she keeps her own produce. This is unlike a husband, where while they're married, a husband does is allowed to keep the produce. Now we learn that's actually a machloket. Our Mishnah is the same as the Tanakama of this Baraita, that the father does not receive the produce. But Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yudah says the father does receive the produce. What's the essence of their argument? Well, the Takama thinks that a husband, the rabbi said that a husband does get the produce. Why? That's in exchange for his obligation to redeem his wife from captives. If kidnappers come and take her, the husband has an obligation. It's in the Ketubah that he has to come up with money to redeem her. So in exchange, he gets the produce um, from the field. But a father, if, a fa- if someone's daughter gets kidnapped, what, is a father going to just sit back and not redeem her? Right? He's going to let her be taken? No, he's going to do it anyway. So since a father is going to redeem his captive daughter anyway, Therefore, he, there's no reason that he should get the rights of the produce. Interesting assumption that if the husband was not receiving the rights of the produce, then he would allow his wife to stay with the captors. Right, but a father, in any case, would uh, redeem his daughter. All right, that's the Tanakama. That's why he thinks the father doesn't get it. says, even a father would not redeem his daughter. We're not talking about all cases. We're talking about if the daughter has a nice nest egg. She has this uh, land and the land is producing produce and the produce is all, all those earnings are being put away in an uh, escrow account for her until she grows up. So if she has this pouch of money that she's saving up and now kidnappers come and they say, you know, we want $50,000 and she has $50,000. So the father's going to be like, why should I come up with $50,000 to redeem my daughter? She has her own bank account. Let her use that money. Uh, so the Biosebribiota says it's the same. Okay, so actually we can clarify what the deal with the um, with the um, uh, husband as well. Even according to Nakama, it's not like the husband is going to say, "Oh, take my wife and uh, leave her there." The point is that if the wife has her own money from produce that she is keeping and saving, and she gets kidnapped, then the husband would say. I don't want to pay for it. She has her own money. Let let her use that money that she's saving up for the redemption. Um, but if she doesn't have produce, if she doesn't own land, then we would also assume that the husband is going to uh, uh, redeem his wife. And he would have an obligation to. Okay, so anyway, so they, uh, according to the Biyosebidibiyuda, it's the same thing for both a wife and a daughter. If there is produce, the husband will expect it to uh, be expect her to use it for the redemption, and so therefore, instead, we uh, he gets it in both cases. Uh, he says, just just like a, a husband and a father both get the produce all the time, and in exchange, uh, they are obligated and expected to redeem their 
wife slash daughter. Now, Niset, Okay, that's all the things that have to do with the father. Now, a husband has an extra obligation um, and a right that he can, he does get the perot of her property. Okay, now Baraita is going to give an important machloket. If a husband, um, fought, rather, a father wrote for, included in the ketubah, a certain amount of produce and clothing and vessels, meaning a dowry, right? The father of the bride would often um, give a, a dowry uh, to the couple. The point is that they give them some uh, a, a startup money so that they can build a house and build a life together. Uh, so the father of the bride is going to bring those things into the, in, into the house. Uh, Swanny. And then you'll take this here. He gives it to his daughter and says, you will take this to your husband's house and you'll have it together. So in other words, it's going to go to the husband. Now, if they get married and the wife dies, then the husband keeps all that stuff. She brought it into the marriage. So clearly it would belong to him. But if she dies before the marriage, before the wedding ceremony. So it's after Kiddushin. They have all the gifts, and now she dies. The, the husband cannot keep it. The father can take it back because the father gave it to them to help out with their marriage, but they never were married, so the father did not intend to give it to them. However, Rabbi Natan says, the husband does get it, right? The father gave it to them already. This is a gift on being engaged, and he's so happy that they're together, and that's it. He gave it already, and even though she dies before the chuppah, still the husband can keep it. Okay, so this is important machloket. Now, we're going to try to match it up with another machloket about the other way around. Um, as machlok between these two tanaim, ditnan. We have a mishnah coming up later in Kitubot. Nit armela or nit gadesha ben mina nisuin ben mina edusin koba etakol. Now we're talking about the money that he promises to give her. And that is composed of two parts. One is the base amount of 100 or 200 zoos. And then there's the added amount that we still add in today. Let's say it's 18,000 is the standard number we often use today. So if they, he, he writes in the Ketubah, I'm going to give you an addition to the base amount, $18,000. And she is widowed. He dies or they get divorced. So he has to pay it. Whether they were married with Chupah or whether they had only Kiddushin. So you see that even though it's only Kiddushin um, and he dies, his estate or they get divorced in between, he or his estate will have to pay um, all 18,000. That is Tanakama. So you see, according to him, the Ketubah is effective, even though they weren't married yet. Whoever says no, if they were married, and certainly that's the, he, she can collect all eighteen thousand. But if they only had kiddushin, then she gets the base amount. Yes, that that it's it's effective to that extent. 
Um, but the rest of it, the 18,000, the husband only put that in the ketubah on condition that they would complete the marriage, he would bring her into his house. It didn't happen, so he didn't, he, he didn't want to give the 18,000. All right, so now, um, now that we have these two machalokot, we can match them up. The mandamar lo zacha, according to the opinion uh, that, uh, above, that said that um, the dowry that the father brings into the marriage, the husband cannot keep it if she dies before the wedding, uh, meaning that he gave her these gifts, he, he gave the gifts to the couple, but, and they're written in the ketubah, right? It says all the things that the father gave in the dowry, but if the marriage didn't happen, he cannot keep it, meaning they're unconditioned that they get married. The ketubah is not effective. So that, that opinion would agree with the Be'elazah ben Azariah, that the marriage is not, the ketubah is not effective the other way either, that she cannot collect the 18,000 that he promised in the marriage. The ketubah till today has both sides. She's going to, her family, her father is going to bring in, we still write today, Mibe Abu from her father's house. Her father is going to bring in, he's going to bring in some items. If they never get married, neither collects it. So it makes sense to put those together. Whereas the opinion that says he, do, he does receive the, the dowry, even though the marriage didn't happen, that would be the same as Rabbanan here who say that she can collect that 18,000 even though the chuppah never happened. Okay, so that makes sense to um, put them together. But then we say, not necessarily. Maybe, in fact, everyone in the first machloket uh, agrees with Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. In the second machloket, he's the one that said that um, if they had only Edusin, you get the base amount, but you, she does not collect the 18,000. Um, everyone agrees with that. Manda Malozacha, the one who said that the husband does not get keep the dowry, that makes sense. Kitubiel's ben Nazaria. In other words, the Kitubah is not effective. Both sides neither collect. Umanda Malzacha, Adkan Lokamarbi Elazaben Azaria Ela Midi de Lidida, Shelokatabla Ela Amenat Lechonsa. But the one who says that the husband does receive the dowry, he could, he would say that yes, Rabbi ibn Nazariah um, said that she will not collect the eighteen thousand, whatever is going from him to her, because he only wrote that extra amount on condition that the marriage would be fulfilled. Aval medida lidide, but the money that's going. From her to him, meaning from her father to him, the dowry. When the father gave it, he wasn't giving it on condition of the chuppah. He was giving it on condition of the hatan, the fact that there is a groom that's joining the family. And already from the time of the kiddushin, the marriage is already... Uh, you know, set forth, and even though it's not consummated that his wife did not go and move in with him, nevertheless, the father was happy to give these gifts already before the marriage, just based on the Kiddushin. And so it really has to do with the mental uh, state and assumptions of these gifts uh, that are given. And truth is, there is actually a really important difference, which is that the father does already give these items uh, beforehand, whereas the ketubah is not paid until the marriage is ended. So, 
Um, so it makes sense that there would make be a distinction between these the, the two directions. All right, next, a husband is required to feed his wife. Uh, so the Baraita explains that the husband's obligation to provide sustenance to his wife is in exchange for her earnings. Now, it doesn't mean she has to go to work, if she doesn't go to work, he still has to feed her. He has to feed her no matter what. But if she does work, then her, the earnings go to the husband. And he's obligated no matter what. doesn't matter if the earnings are less than what she uh, eats. He still has to provide for it. Her um, burial costs are in exchange for the ketubah. The ketubah meaning the things that she brings into the marriage. Um, that dowry amount, uh, what that she brings into the marriage, um, is, he keeps if she predeceases him, um, but he has to pay for the uh, for the burial. And so this actually kind of explains the what we saw previously is that he would in the case where even though the chupa didn't happen, uh, he would presumably, according to the one that says he does keep the dowry, he would have to pay for the burial costs. And so he keeps the dowry. So you see, it all makes sense. Therefore, the husband eats the produce of the land that she brought in. Now, no one ever mentioned anything about perot. So there's something missing in this badaita. Perot mandacha shemayu. What are you talking about perot? We didn't see that that's connected to anything. Oh, you missed a line here. The badaita should read. That we saw. But now we're adding her redemption from kidnappers. That's in exchange for him, the husband, keeping the uh, produce of the land that she owns. Her burial costs are instead of the dowry that she brought in. Now it makes sense. Therefore, the husband should eat the, have the perot. I mean, saying for this one in particular because the father, did, the father didn't get it, but the husband does get it because he is going to need to um, use that money if she would get kidnapped. Okay, now my lefichach. What is this lefichach? What is it following from uh, the saying therefore? Right. I mean, it's kind of obvious from the tachad by itself. Because you might have thought that he should not be able to keep the produce and use it as regular uh, funds to pay for the, the, the electric bill. Um, but rather, he should have to set it aside. All the money that comes from the produce of her land should be put into a separate uh, account as kidnapping insurance uh, should she need it. Because if he uses it just to pay the regular bills, then when the time comes that she's kidnapped, she, he's not going to have all that money saved up, and he's not going to want to go and and dig out from the regular expenses um, extra money to pay for the kidnapping. So you might have thought that he's required to put it into a separate account. So we the lefichach comes to teach us that this is actually an extra benefit for her sake because it could be that the produce is not sufficient uh, for the kidnapping price, for the uh, ransom price. It could be that the produce that comes in 
um, you know, adds up to $1,000, even after a few years, um, $5,000. But then she gets kidnapped, and they want $50,000. So if he put it into a separate account, they'll say, well, this, the account only has $5,000. That's all I'm willing to pay for your redemption. So by um, allowing the husband to keep it and use it as he wishes, it also means that should the ransom amount be more then the husband has to cover all of that cost. Okay, now, question about this, uh, the way that broke it down here. How do you know that the produce is for ransom? And each of these, maybe the produce is for, uh, as, uh, as instead of her, her, um, uh, her feeding her. And the uh, ketubah is instead of the produce, right? Why why'd you line it up precisely in this way? Why not switch it around? We do the one, whatever is more common, whatever happens on a regular basis. So feeding the wife, that happens on a regular basis every day. And so too, if she works on a, on a regular basis, she receives earnings every day. So that, those are daily occurrences. It makes sense to put those together. Produce happens only every once every season, and so too uh, redeeming her uh, should she be taken captive. Hopefully, it never happens, but um, it happens. Uh, should it happen? It's once in a while, so that makes sense. The dowry is something that the father would bring in only once in the beginning of the marriage, and her dying burial rites is also something that happens only once in her lifetime. So uh, it makes sense that all of these are matched up with each other. Rava said that this Tana and the Braita, following Braita we're going to see, uh, holds that his husband's obligation to feed his wife is from the Torah. Titania, She'era. The pasuk says um, he cannot diminish for. He was talking about a uh, ama that's sold to a master, and if the master marries her, even if he marries another woman, he has to make sure that he never diminishes from the basic obligations to this uh, any one of his wives. So from that example, we learn to all marriages that the basic obligation of a husband to his wife. Um, are these items. So what are they? She'era means ma, means um, uh, sustenance, food. pasuk in Micha says, I will also ate the flesh of my people. Very negative pasuk, but it is talking about eating, and so therefore we connect she'era to eating. Kesuta kemashmao, kesuta is... Uh, clothing, simple. Onata zo ona amora batora vechen omer im te'ane et benotai. Ona are the regular conjugal rights that a husband has to uh, be with his wife on a regular basis, and we learn that from Lot, who told um, sorry Lavan, who told Yaakov when Yaakov was taking was running away with Lavan's daughters, and he said, "Okay, fine, you can go, but im if you afflict, torture my daughters, how is he going to torture them if he neglects them and goes and marries other people, uh, other women, and doesn't um, give regular conjugal rights?" So uh, the truth is that it, it is the same three-letter root, but it's completely different meaning. Um, ona is means uh, marital rights. Inui uh, means uh, to uh, abuse. So he meant if you abuse my my my. So it's in a way opposite me opposite meanings, uh, but nevertheless, 
the point is, you know, refusing, one uh, is, uh, is a PL, uh, so refusing those conjugal rights. So we do learn that ona means conjugal rights. Okay. Rabbi uh, El Azad Omer, Rabbi El Azad agrees, but he interprets the words differently. She'era zo'ana, he thinks that she'era, that's referring to conjugal rights. Ve'chenu Omer, ish, ish, el kol she'er, pesalo do tikrebu legalot arva. In the pasuk that talks about prohibition against incest, it uses the word she'er. So she'er is used in the context of uh, relations. And uh, these are prohibited types of relations, but with a marriage it would be permitted and obligated to have relations. Uh, she'er here literally just means flesh, uh, like flesh and blood, meaning a close relation. And so she'er would mean that a man has to be with his wife and come together as one flesh. Kisuta kemashmao, again, that's as easy, that's clothing. Onata elumezonot vechenuomer vayannecha vayadribecha. So he switches, sheran onata, I think ona, onata, that's talking about food. As it says, this is parashat shavua that Hashem afflicted B'nai Israel in the desert and made them suffer hunger and then gave them the man so that they would appreciate that they are dependent on um, Hashem for everything. Here, Vayanecha is also the word of inui, of suffering, of torture. Now, onata doesn't mean that a husband is obligated to torture her and make her starve. It's, the, again, the opposite meaning. But within the context is Vayanecha Virbecha, holding back food and then giving man, so ona is related to food. This is his obligation to feed her. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer, She'era Kesuta, Rabbi Eliezer Yaakov learned a, not yet a different halacha from the, the, uh, the words that are back to back. She'era and Kesuta, uh, so flesh and clothing. They, these two words explain each other. Lefum She'era ten Kesuta, according to her flesh, so you should give her clothing. Give her clothing that fits. Don't give children's clothing to an older woman or, or old clothing to a young woman. It could mean just the size, right? People grow, especially if they get married at 12. Um, then you have to give them appropriate size. And style also, right, uh, is different styles for different ages. So you can't just buy your wife a wardrobe once and say, oh, that's it, I bought you clothes. No, you have to change as... Um, as they change. Kesuta ve'onata, and we also connect kesuta with the next word, also that um, uh, explains it. Lefum onata, ten kesuta, ona can mean season. You have to give her clothing according to the seasons. Shelo yiten hadashim bimota hama, velo shechakim bimota geshamim, that you don't give new, meaning when the clothing is new, it's heavy, it's thick. You don't give that in the summer. When it's worn out, it already is like sheer, has holes in it, air conditioning. You don't give that in the winter when you need warmer clothes. So to today, you have to make sure that uh, your wife is able to go shopping uh, for every season. And you don't say, well, I already bought you clothes in the winter. You You don't have to buy clothes in the summer. No, not true. Okay. Tane Rav Yosef. She'era zo keru basar. A different interpretation of she'era, which means flesh. This means that the uh, wife has a, a right to have uh, feel closeness of flesh. 
to cuddle together. And don't do what the Persians do. Because they have uh, sexual relations with their clothing on. And it's not as uh, intimate and it's uh, not as nice to treat the, the man to treat his wife that way as if she is just kind of an object and not uh, show her uh, loving and kindness but that's, that, that would be expressed through uh, touching of flesh. For example, we have Ravuna says, if a man says, I don't want to be, I don't want to uh, sleep without, uh, uh, with the closeness of flesh, I just want to have, I'll have relations, but with clothes on. I don't know, like maybe he doesn't doesn't like the way she looks, or I don't know why. He would do that. He would have to divorce her and pay her ketubah, because he's not fulfilling she'erah. She'erah means that he has to, um, uh, he can't, that he can't uh, act the way the Persians act. Uh, okay, very interesting. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.